1 Peter tonight, chapter 1, verses 22 to chapter 2, verse 3. In a study I'm calling the incorruptibles, incorruptibles, and we'll see why as we get into the word. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 22 through chapter 2, we're making headway, verse 3. So Father, thank you so much for your word, and thank you so much, Lord, for the chance to come and worship you, Lord, to honor you, to lift you up. Lord, we thank you for saving us, Lord. We thank, Lord, we thank you for setting us free and, and giving us new life, Lord. And so, um, Lord, we are dependent upon you for our salvation, Lord, and we're also dependent upon you to live this life as a Christian. And so, Lord, as newborn babes, Lord, we pray that you would feed us, Lord, and that you would nourish us, Lord, and that you would make us grow so we can be effective, Lord, in our communities, Lord, in our homes, in our workplaces, Lord, so we can be made more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, we've all seen the movie or are familiar with the movie Incredibles. It's a Pixar movie that came out. It's a family of superheroes. I mean, there's a number of superheroes, but specifically a family of superheroes that have super, superhuman abilities. For example, there's the dad who has superhuman strength, Mr. Incredible. Pat Mundy also has, as some know him as. Elasticity, which is Elastigirl, right, which is his wife. The daughter, Violet, who can disappear and bring out force fields, which is pretty cool. Speed, the son named Dash. And then the baby, which I like the most, Jack-Jack. And this baby can turn into pretty much all kinds of different crazy things. And so I would have to say this is probably one of the most awesome families I've seen. Now, while this isn't pretty incredible, yes, there is a family that is even more awesome, and that's the family of God. You see, you and I belong to this family through our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if we had to give ourselves a name, we could be called the incorruptibles, because notice Peter in this first chapter gives us a number of incorruptible things that we have as a result of our salvation and the promises that we have in Jesus. Let's just review them real fast. Verses three and four says, God has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And then there's verses 18, 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of, of, lamb, of the lamb without blemish and without spot. And then there's verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So you and I, we are partakers in this family we call the incorruptibles. We have an incorruptible inheritance. We have an incorruptible redemption, and we have an incorruptible um, word, which brings us our salvation. Now, just as the incredibles can do some amazing things just based on the fact that they were born that way. Well, the same is true for you and I. We are born into this family of God, and so now God calls us to do some pretty amazing things, things that we would call supernatural, things that the natural man would look at and they think, yeah, that's not normal. I can't do that. Such as rejoicing and having hope in the midst of trials and tribulations. That's what we looked at a couple weeks ago. Peter said, hey, rejoice, bless God. And oh yeah, by the way, for a certain amount of time, you're also going to receive trials and tribulations, but God has given you the strength. He'll make you an overcomer in it. Last week, we talked about being holy, 
not just dressing like what people think is holy, but actually being holy as God is holy, to be set apart from the world, to be set apart from all evil. And tonight, we learn that we're to love one another with a fervent and pure heart. And so that's what we're focusing on. We're focusing on our response to our great salvation, to these incorruptible things that you and I are partakers of in Jesus Christ. And so as we continue our pilgrimage through this book and talk about how we're pilgrims of Jesus Christ, we're going to learn two things about loving others. Number one, the basis for walking in love. And number two, our motivation for walking in love. So first, in, verse, uh, in chapter 1, verse 22, through chapter 3, verse 1, we learn the basis for us walking in love. He says, since you, have been pur- since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. And so Peter, just right off the bat, says, hey, guys, love one another with a pure heart. He starts with a command. And notice the basis of this command comes forth from our salvation, which Peter has already been explaining throughout this whole chapter. Now, he kind of describes it a little different way here in this verse. He talks about the purification of our soul. So it's really just another term for our salvation. God has purified our soul through faith, through obedience, through his spirit. Now, the obedience has to do with our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't refer to works. He's not saying, okay, by the way, if you follow all these words, God will purify you. No, he's referring to the fact that you and I, by obedience to the gospel, the Lord purifies us. He makes us clean in his eyes. He justifies us. It's a pretty neat thing to think about, the fact that a holy God looks at you and I as being purified. Now, obviously, as we know, we're still sinners. We're not perfect. We'll never be perfect until we get to heaven. But yet, because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, God looks at us just as if we have never sinned. He looks at us justified. That's, that's a real encouragement, right, that God would look at us like that, and he has a just reason for doing it. He, he, you know, he has, his just reason is because you and I are in Christ, and he has imputed Christ's righteousness into our account through our faith. So we have obedience, and our obedience is in the truth. And that truth is the the truth of the gospel. Now, we know that Peter is referring to faith in the gospel because in the book of Acts, chapter 15, when he was speaking to this Jerusalem council, this group of leaders, he said this concerning the Gentiles. He said, so God who knows the heart acknowledged them, the Gentiles, by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. And so once again, Peter says, hey, guys, through your faith in Jesus Christ, God has purified your heart. He no longer looks at you as dirty, as stinky, but he looks at you as pure in his sight, which is a real blessing. It's by faith alone. Now, this is through the Spirit. Notice that. Yes, we, we, are, we have obedience to the truth, but our salvation comes through the Spirit. It's not from us at all. It's not generated by us. It's not from us, but it's from the Spirit from beginning to end. And that's what we're told in John chapter one, where it said, hey, we're born again, not by the will of the flesh, not by the will of man, but of God. It, salvation is from God from beginning to end. It's by his grace and it's by his spirit. Through God's, uh, through God's spirit, we're drawn to Christ. Through his grace, we're given the ability to believe in Christ. Through his spirit, we're convicted of our sin, of righteousness and of judgment. 
when the gospel's preached, it's the spirit that's working on the person's heart. Often we think, oh man, I'm real clever in the way I preach the gospel. And if, I'm, if I just use real clever tactics, then maybe the person will get saved. Well, no, it's not you. It's the gospel, and it's the spirit that's working on that person's heart. And the same thing for you and I. I still remember I went to the youth conference in Visalia. I was just a sinner, man, and just sitting there, and it was the spirit of God that, that spoke to my heart, that, that called me forward to, to give my life to Christ, and the same thing for you. We're made alive through the spirit. We're cleansed through the spirit, and now we're given power to live by the spirit. It's a neat thing about Christianity versus all other religions of the world. All other religions say, okay, if you're going to be pure, well, then you need to work real, real hard. And the Bible says, no, just believe on Christ, and God will look at you just as if you've never sinned. The other religions of the world say, okay, well, that's fine, but man, you need to work real hard in order for God to love you, and work real hard, and put all your effort into it. And the Bible says, yes, the Christian life is supernatural, it's difficult, but God will live in you, and he'll do it through you. All we need to do is abide in him. So that, that's the basis of our salvation, but notice the result of it, and that's what Peter's really getting to. The result of our salvation is for the sincere love of the brethren, for the sincere love of the brethren. Now, we're not saved by loving others. We are saved to love others. In other words, loving others is really an evidence that we have obeyed the truth through the Spirit. And so if you're walking in the spirit, if God has changed your heart, the Bible says that you, then you will love others. Now, this truth is not just unique to Peter. It's not just something we're pulling out of one verse and trying to make a doctrine out of it, but it's something that's taught throughout the entire New Testament. Let me read you a couple passages. Jesus himself said in John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then Paul in Galatians 5.22 said that the fruit of the Spirit is love. And so if you're in Christ and God is working in your life, then the fruit of that that will grow from your life will be love. Obviously love for God, but also love for others because they go hand in hand. The Apostle John, often called the Apostle of Love, speaks a lot about the love of God from our life. In three places in his epistle, 1 John, he talked very clearly and plainly about love. 1 John 2, 9 says, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother, he is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. 1 John three fourteen, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. First John 4, 7, and 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So it's real plain. The Bible says, hey, the evidence of you being born again is you will have a supernatural love for one another. And God changes us from the inside out by pouring out the love of God in our heart through the Holy Spirit, as Paul says in Romans 5, 5. He'll give us his love for one another. So after Peter, in the first part of this verse, gives us the nature of salvation, the means of salvation, the result of salvation, and then he just goes straight forward and gives us the command. He says, love one another with a fer fervently with a pure heart. Now, I love that the result of our salvation and the command are basically the same thing. 
And that shows us really that God has given us the power to do it, that he'll enable us to do it. It's not something that we have to work up, but it's something that the Lord will work through us. We have the conviction to do it. The spirit pricks our heart. Say when you're rude to that person at work, just wanna get real mad. And you do it and the Lord convicts you. He's like, hey, why'd you say that? Oh, Lord, I don't know, kind of thing. You know, he gives us the conviction to do it, but he also gives us the ability to do it. I can do it, I can't do it. The Bible says, well, yeah, you can if you're born again. The, both the conviction and the ability. The result is sincere love, but our command is to love one another fervently. Now let's take a moment to talk about what, what is this fervent love? Well, simply put, Peter's saying, if you're born again, then get to it. That's basically what he's saying. If you're born again, get to it. To love, one, to love a person sincerely means without hypocrisy. That means that our love is not to be phony, but it's to be genuine. Also, our love is to be from a pure heart. Obviously, this implies loving others you know, with pure motives, not for wrong reasons like trying to get something from them or try to please them, you know, try to butter them up you know, for something. But it, it sh- you know, shows us that, hey, we should love from a pure heart, from, from a pure motive for pure reasons. But also, I think it points us to Jesus, who is really the only greatest example of what it is to love with a pure heart. And Jesus did love with a pure heart. He shows us what love is. He shows us that love really is sacrifice, to lay down your life. And John picks that up in his epistle, 1 John 3.16. We all know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? But 1 John 3.16 is one that we need to memorize. It says, for this is love, that he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our life for the brethren. So John says, you, we all know John 3.16, but man, you need to memorize 1 John 3.16. Because what Christ has done for you, you also need to lay down your life for each other. And what does that mean? That means if we have a brother or sister in need, then we have that response to them. If we, you know, if, if we walk in love in such a way, we'll have unity with one another. And we'll talk more about these things when we get into uh, chapter two. But Jesus shows us that greatest example. Now, true love never compromises truth, and Jesus never did that. You know, he rebuked the Pharisees because they were wrong. You know, he never says, okay, guys, you guys are okay with your false doctrine. I love you, so you guys are okay. No, he corrected them because true love is always in, in, in communion with truth. We're to love one another in truth. True love never compromises sin. Yes, Jesus did forgive the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, but Jesus also told her, go and sin no more. He corrected her, and her life was changed from that point forward. And so, you know, so we can't say, well, no, you know, true love is to overlook sin, to overlook doctrine. We all just need to be one. No, the Bible says we need to love in truth, love like Christ loved. That's also demonstrated in 1 Corinthians 13. We're told that love suffers long. It's kind. Love does not envy it does not parade itself, it's not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, it's not provoked, it thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. And really, as we know, we can put Jesus' name in there, right? Jesus does not envy, he does not parade himself, he's not puffed up, he does not behave rudely, he does not seek its own. And so if we're to talk about what it is to walk in love, to love one another with a fervent heart, and where does this even come from? It comes from being born again, but it comes from following Christ and abiding in him. 
And that's why in that same section, John chapter 13 through 17, when Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, he says, hey guys, abide in me. I'm the branch, you know, or, or I'm the vine, you're the branch, abide in me. If you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. And then he goes on and talks about loving others because he knows you know, if we're not abiding in him, we're not gonna be able to love others as he commands us to. It begins in us and it flows through us. It's demonstrated through the life of Christ. So you and I are not God, yes. We're not perfect, yes. But we have the abiding spirit like Christ and so we have the power to love others. So this is something supernatural, as I said. Only an incorruptible can do things like this. This is a supernatural thing. Now Peter goes on to describe this truth that we're saved by. And so he talked about how we're, you know, we obeyed the truth, we're saved by the truth. So he's gonna explore it a little more as we work through verses 23 through 25. He says, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower fades away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. So all human life is conceived in our, excuse me, all human life is in, that is conceived by a, a, a corruptible seed. All human life comes from a corruptible seed. It starts with our great grandfather, Adam, and it's passed on to all mankind. You see, because of what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden, sin is passed on from them to us. And it comes through the line of the father, it comes through the line of Adam. We call this inherited sin. And so from Adam to all mankind, sin is passed. And we all receive it. We all inherit it when we're conceived. We're born with a depraved nature. We're born destined to die. Now, Peter gives us an illustration of this by pointing his Jewish readers to the Old Testament, which is Isaiah 46 to 8. And then, you know, no doubt they, they would have knew this. They would have memorized this. And he contrasts the corruptibility of man with the withering, beautiful flower and the grass. We see this around us today, right? With the, with the drought, the withering flower, right? The withering grass. And that's what man is like. We're corruptible. All the beauty of man, whether it's natural beauty or worldly accomplishments, like a flower, they all have their time under the sun, but yet they soon fade and blow away, no longer to be remembered. And that's, that's man, you know, when you look at it, because of this corruption that, that we received, you know, through our great-grandfather Adam, you know, a person can be really beautiful, they can be, you know, have the greatest things in the world, have all the greatest worldly accomplishments, but in reality, they're just like a flower and over time, they start to wither and fade, and all of a sudden, they blow away to be forgotten. Mankind, life is like grass that eventually dries up and withers away and blows away. And that's really what life is like. Strong one moment, then all of a sudden, it's like a vapor. Before we know it, it's, it's deteriorated and gone. This is the hope of the, of the non-believer, to stay beautiful, right? But it doesn't work. Over time, right, age takes its effect. You know, like, like a flower, like grass, it, it blows away, it withers away. But yet in contrast to that, that corruption, we, we have received an incorruptible birth through the word of God, through the um, gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a supernatural birth that comes from faith in the gospel. It's an eternal seed. And our faith in this eternal seed gives us eternal life. And it brings with it being born again 
and the opportunity to have a relationship with God. And so it's, you know, walking in the word and living for Christ is so much better than anything that the world can ever offer us because what the world offers is temporary. It'll eventually fade away. It'll eventually pass away and not to be remembered. But what we have in Christ is eternal. Eternal inheritance, eternal rewards, eternal word that we follow. Therefore, have, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. So once again, based upon our eternal salvation and what we have in Christ, it's, our reasonable response is to walk in love. Peter says, therefore, and so he says this, summing up what he just said, and now he's applying it. Because we have an eternal salvation, we're born again, we're to love others practically. We're to live out this love that God has for us. And a couple of ways that we do that is by not thinking evil of people or rejoicing when they fall. That's called malice. Also, we're to speak the truth in love. We're not to speak deceit. It's a lie to people. We're not to be fake, but we're to be real. That's, that's the contrast. That is hypocrisy. We're to not covet another person's life or be jealous of them. That's envy. And we're not to speak anything evil about our Christian brother, our sister. Now, notice all these things originate in the heart. All these things originate in the mind, and they begin to work its way out. True love begins in the heart, and it begins by abiding in Christ as we walk in the Spirit. And so once again, like, like we talked about last week, the mind is a battlefield. And the Lord has given us power to take those thoughts captive that are against the knowledge of Christ. And the Lord will convict us to do these things. We'll have to take these things captive and say, no, I'm not going to envy that person. I'm not going to be jealous of them. I'm not going to think evil thoughts about that person. Not that, I'm think, not that I think evil thoughts about any of you, by the way, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And, you know, so uh, maybe I'm now because you didn't laugh at my joke, but, um, you know, so, no, I'm just joking, by the way. And so, you know, so, I mean, so we have all these things, these, these different things. It begins in the heart, it begins in the mind, and it works its way out. We're to walk in love. So this is the basis for love, our salvation, in the way that we love by following Christ now we talk about the motivation for our love in verses two and three. As newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And so you and I as believers are to be growing just as babies are to be growing. It's a natural thing for children to grow. And the same thing for you and I as children of God, we're to be growing, we're to be you know, maturing in our faith. And one of the signs that we are maturing is we'll have a desire for the pure milk of the word. Now, Peter's not saying that we're all babies. No, but he's saying that like babies, we're desiring milk. And we know that babies like to eat. They want to eat all the time. They don't really know what's going on in their stomach. They just want to eat, right? And so, and the same thing for you and I as Christians. If we're growing, we'll have more of a desire for God. We'll have more of a desire to walk in holiness. We'll have more of a desire to be in the word. And the result of that is really good because it will cause us to grow, that you may grow thereby. And so in order to grow in the Christian life, you must be in the word. You must spend time with the Lord. In order to love others, you must abide in Christ. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And so, you know, once you've got one taste, man, it's like, it's like a Pringles. You know, once you eat one, you'll eat the whole, you know, you want to eat the whole container kind of thing. And that's what the Christian life is like. Once you experience the Lord's grace, once you see the goodness of the Lord's word, it'll produce in you a hunger, a thirst after righteousness. 
and that should continue to grow. Now, I can't help but see a warning in these two verses in relationship to love. Yes, we're to love by, you know, you know because the word of the Lord tells us to. We're, we're to love because, you know, Jesus, you know, commanded us to love. We're to love because it's our natural response, but we're also to love because if we don't, it will hinder our growth and our progress in Christ. If we're to grow in Christ, we must guard our heart from bitterness. We must guard our heart from hatred. We must guard our heart from unforgiveness because those are all things that hinder the growing process. And Jesus even said that. He said, hey, if you don't forgive the sins of others, your heavenly father is not gonna forgive your sins. What does that mean? It means exactly what the Lord says it means. You know, as, as Sandy Adams says, that passage has teeth, it bites, you know? It, it, it's, it, it bites you a little bit, but it, it's true. Now, obviously, obviously, we're not gonna lose our salvation, but the Lord is talking about a relational aspect. How can we expect God to forgive our sins if we're not willing to forgive the sins of others, those who sin against us? And so, you know, and same thing with bitterness. There are those thorns that choke out the seed. As the seed plants and begins to grow, the thorns, which Jesus said is worldliness and things like that, but it also can be bitterness. It chokes those things out as the Lord is trying to do a work in your life, but all you can do is just think back to that person and how they've done this to you or done that to you. And your mind is just consumed with, with that bitterness and hatred. The Lord wants us to put those things away because he wants us to grow. And the way that we do that is by loving others. And so, yes, it's a command. It's our example, but it's also the process in which we grow as we abide in the word and love others. And so you and I, we have an amazing position in Christ. We have an amazing place in God's family. We're part of the incorruptibles. We have this living in us. We have an internal inheritance. We have an internal salvation. We have an eternal word that lives in us. Well, now we're to step out and live that out in the midst of the world so that all will see that we're Christ's disciples. Amen. Amen. 